I love getting presents for all my siblings. A lot of times we donate some stuff to the people with not so much money. Um, getting presents. Um, bake cookies and then we put them in a box and give them to some of our neighbors. Go camping. Um, Jesus' birthday. Opening presents. Drink hot vodka. We don't actually have marshmallows, but we have big ones and small ones. The, the small ones um, are fruity, but they're hard. And you can't eat them, but they're so hard. Meet up back at our house, and then we go and eat a delicious meal, and then we go to bed, and then wake up, and then it's Christmas Day. My favorite present would probably be like, my mom would cut me a giant squishmallow for Christmas. <laughs> Legos. Makeup every year because we always run out. Jesus. And I got a papa shot. My bike. Uh, I a present Do you have a favorite present that you've given? Yes. What was that? Paper plates. I gave them to my sister because I had nothing else to give her. She likes to bake. It was the day Jesus was born. Like um, to because, Jesus yeah, birthday, to yeah. when he was born. That's what I was gonna say. Jesus was born. God sent Jesus to be born to celebrate his birthday and for him to die on the cross because it's Jesus's birthday and he came to die for all. Because he he saved us. Well, let's give it up for the kiddos. From the lips of children come unfiltered truth. Is that not the case, parents? So I love three things really stood out to me when I saw the first run of that video. The family that chooses camping, I'm thinking not this year for sure, right? Sure, they're going deep south if they're going in that route. And then I loved the, the child who kind of, you know, let out of the bag that there's some marshmallows in the house that might be a little past expiration date, you know? I love that, the way they described it. And then only a big brother could get away with giving paper plates. Come on now, I want to be in that household. So love the kids. Kids, Merry Christmas to you. So glad you can be a part here in our uh, Christmas Eve service and welcome to everyone. We're going to spend a few minutes reflecting on the significance of how a baby being born on the outskirts of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, how that child could literally all around our world today be proclaimed every time a date stamp is written, right? When the date is given, no matter when you write it or it's stamped electronically, it is proclaiming, to, this is 2022, 2022 years since when? Since the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. It's called Anno Domini, A.D. It means in the year of our Lord. Every culture on the planet proclaims that 2,022 years ago, a baby entered the world. And it was so significant that every time you write a date, it proclaims the year of the Lord. And the Bible has a word to capture 
this title that's placed on Jesus when he's born. Matthew chapter 1 says, when Jesus came into the world, there were a number, number of introductions given to him, but one of them had a really significant title, and it was the word Emmanuel, and it means God with us. And God came to live with us, Emmanuel, so we could live with him, the Emmanuel life. And that leads us to what I want us to reflect on tonight, that the story of God has always been, is today, and will forever be the story of the world. The story of God has always been, is today, and will forever be the story of the world. It's Christmas Eve 2022 A.D., in the year of our Lord. And so we're going to look at two reflections from John chapter 1, implications for this Emmanuel life invitation. The Smith family read from our text today the, the, the declaration from the gospel of John, that in the beginning was the word. Did you notice a parallel there? Your Bible opens with the words, in the beginning God John opens his gospel, in the beginning was the word. And if you notice in your Bible, it's a capital W because the proclamation John wants to make clear is the word he's talking about is God in the flesh. This God has come and this God changes not just some things, this God changes everything. And he proclaims that Jesus, number one, is light. Did you notice that in the text? Verse 4 and what the Smith family read, Jesus is light. In him was light, and that light was the life of all mankind. Do you see the connection? Light and life. Sin brought death and darkness. John introduces us to the Savior of the world, born on the outskirts of Bethlehem, alongside the Roman Empire, to proclaim what? That he brought light and life. Where sin and darkness had been reigning, light and life is on the move now in the person of Jesus. And that was really, really significant. John's gospel, if you're familiar with it, uses light as a strong metaphor for God, specifically of what Jesus brings onto the scene. And I know some of you may come into Christmas Eve this year, and darkness is a theme, right? We don't have to look very hard, or you don't have to read the headlines very low. We got plenty of headlines about darkness, right? We don't have to scroll very far to find that. And some of you have lived ample like wave after wave of just darkness and grief and loss and just pain and suffering. And tonight is just a reminder when we gather together today that God has entered into that darkness. God doesn't sit outside of it, absent from it. He enters into it. He's coming to deal with it. How's he going to deal with it? He sends his son as light into that darkness. And you know, sometimes in the midst of God sending a light, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of momentum to snuff out the light. When Jesus came into the world, a lot of folks tried to snuff out his light. In Matthew chapter 2, Herod tried to snuff out the light. Remember Herod? He's like the Roman governor. The Ro Rome appointed him to kind of keep the Jews under their thumb, under the Romans' thumbs. So they put Herod in charge of all that. And here's when Jesus was born, Herod was so upset because they were giving Jesus the title King of the Jews. That was a problem because Herod had the title king of the Jews. So there could only be one king of the Jews. And so he, being Herod, says, well, when this Jesus is born, why don't you go kill him? And so here's what Matthew chapter 2 says. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. Herod's so upset that they escape from under his 
from under his wrath that he decides he's going to get all the two-year-old boys in Bethlehem, slaughter them all. Get them all that slaughter, all the two-year-old boys in Bethlehem. That would be the definition of darkness. Would you agree? Darkness. Darkness. Right? We've got plenty of darkness in our world. I would just argue darkness has been a theme since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell and sin entered the world. Darkness has been a theme. Herod tried to snuff out the light, but he wasn't the only one. The chief priests and the religious leaders, they tried to snuff out the light. In John chapter 19, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw Jesus, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. What's so ironic about that? The chief priests and the religious leaders, that's Bible language. Hey, for those who are supposed to show you the way and kind of help you get connected to God, they're the ones who are supposed to help you like clear away the darkness and see the light. And here the chief priests and the religious leaders are, the light of the world has moved into their neighborhood, is standing on their front porch, and they can't see him. You know, that's sometimes what religion does. Some of you have been in an environment like that. Some of you may have been raised in those environments. Some may be kind of working through that stuff. Sometimes you can get so steeped in religion that you miss Jesus. And that's what's going on with them. They were so steeped in their religious ways, Jesus didn't match all their boxes. So they just decided, crucify him, get rid of him. He cannot be the Messiah. The light of the world standing on the front porch of their life, and they can't even see him. And maybe tonight, that's what tonight is for you. Maybe Jesus comes and says, you know what? Maybe there's been a lot of other things kind of cloud up the vision. Maybe tonight you get a fresh vision for Jesus, the light of the world that's come for you. Herod tried to snuff out the light. The religious leaders and chief priests tried to snuff out the light. And then Pilate and the Roman guard. Remember Pilate, he's in charge of that whole area as well. And then the Roman guards, they go through with the crucifixion. And after the crucifixion, they decide, I know, they, know, they know what they're going to do to get rid of this Jesus once for all. Put him in a tomb, seal that tomb, put the guards over that tomb, a cold, dark, sealed tomb. That'll snuff out the light. Of course, we know in just a few months when we come to Easter season, Matthew 28, the women are gathered at the tomb. An angel says to them, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. And so, you know, they thought they could shut the light out with that tomb. Little did they know that the light of the world was about to radiate resurrection life and roll the stone away and walk out. And so Herod's trying to snuff out the light. The religious leader's trying to snuff out the light. Pilate, the Roman guards, everyone else is trying to snuff out the light. And sometimes it's life circumstances. Some of you stroll into Christmas Eve 2022, and your life circumstances have been trying to snuff out the light. It's been overwhelming for you. And tonight's a night to remember that the light pierces the darkness, not the other way around. Light pushes back on the darkness. Light is the offensive energy here. Light is on the move, and there's nothing the darkness can do to stop it. Because Herod thought he was a pretty big story. You know, Caesar and Rome, they, they, they thought they were the biggest story. Pilate thought he was a big story. The religious leaders thought they were a big story. They all thought they were a big story until John chapter 1, until the light of the world enters and Christmas reminds us that the story of God has been, is today, and will forever be the story of the world. There is only one big story. And tonight represents that big story. Jesus is light. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to live with us so we could live with him, the Emmanuel life. And the first reflection out of that is he brings light. He brings light where there's darkness. And then secondly, in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is an unbelievable declaration that this God 
who split the heavens, who created this earth, who said, let there be light, and there was light. This God came and took on human flesh, and he reveals in this instance what God's like. So Jesus is light from John chapter 1, and the second thing is Jesus reveals what God's like. If you've ever asked the question, what is God really like? Tonight, the answer is given, just look at the face of Jesus. Just pay attention to Jesus. Jesus is what God is like. Watch Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Pay attention to what he says, how he behaves. How does he interact with people? What does he say and not do? How does he pray? Who does, how does he serve? How does he worship? Pay attention to Jesus. This is what God is like. God came so near. He came near in the person of Jesus. He took on human flesh. He moved towards the darkness. He sent Jesus into the darkness to display who he really is. This word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This word that from Genesis 1 brought shape to the shapeless and filled the empty. That's the word in Genesis 1. And John proclaims that word has become flesh now in the person of Jesus. The word that spoke the universe into existence now clothed with humanity. This Genesis 1 word now walking the earth. It helps us understand when we read our Bibles why when Jesus walked up to a fig tree and said to a fig tree, you're done bearing fruit, said the fig tree withered on the spot. Well, that would make sense if every time he opened his mouth, it was the Genesis 1 word that came forth. Or he, or he said to the man with the shriveled hand, remember that story in the book of Matthew? There's a man with a shriveled hand, and Jesus said, stretch it out, and the hand stretched out. Or he said to Lazarus, who had died, his close friend, that was went from sickness to death, that couldn't understand why in the world he would allow his good friend to die, because Jesus knew he'd get the last word, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And with that, Lazarus walked out of the grave, because every time Jesus opened his word, it was the Genesis 1, bringing shape to the shapeless and filling the empty power that came forth. If you want to know what God's like, just look at the face of Jesus and pay attention to him and see the kinds of things he did and the way he interacted and how he handled himself. You see this over and over again. It's Jesus, the infinite one, who's revealed to us. There's never a time when Jesus wasn't, and now he's here clothed in flesh. It's Jesus, the creator, the uncaused cause of all reality. In the beginning was the word. He's always been. There's never a time when he wasn't. It's Jesus, light of the world. Life is found through him and can only be found in him. It's Jesus, son of God and son of man. And so, church, I want to summarize it this way, that this is the Jesus of Christmas. If we're going to get a bit clear about anything else tonight, we're going to get crystal clear about this. Who is the Jesus of Christmas? And I think Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, she summarized it better than I could. So I'm going to read this to you. Here's what Anne Graham Lotz says. My Jesus, she says, well, he's everything. He guards the young. He seeks the stray. He finds the lost. He guides the faithful. He rights the wrong. He avenges the abused. He defends the weak. He comforts the oppressed. He welcomes the prodigal. He heals the sick. He cleanses the dirty. He beautifies the barren. He restores the failure. He mends the broken. He blesses the poor. He fills the empty. He clothes the naked. He satisfies the hungry. He elevates the humble. He forgives the sinner. He raises the dead. And Graham Lott says, my Jesus, well, he's everything. Church, that's the Jesus of Christmas. You see, because the story of God has always been, is today, and will forever be the story of the world. It's the story of what? It's the story of Emmanuel. God came to be with us. So what? So we could live with him. We could live this Emmanuel life. 
that he brings light. And if you wonder, what is God like? What would it be like to live with him? You just lock your eyes, put him on the person of Jesus, immerse yourself in the first four gospels. If you've never done that, just immerse yourself there. Spend some time during this holiday season. Crack open Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at the words of red and say, this Jesus, I think you'll conclude with Anne Graham Lotz. He's well, he's everything. He's everything. That's Christmas. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, we were playing in Dallas, and it was an evening game. Remember Colts' evening game in Dallas, which means we're at the team hotel for an extended time before the night game. So we're staying at this Marriott that was right along this big lake. And so I got up, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go on a run. We've got a lot of hours to pass, so I'm going to go on a run. I went down to the path, and I left my phone. I didn't have a watch. I didn't have a phone or anything. I said, I'm just going to go on a run. I'm just going to follow the path around the lake, three, four miles, just be a nice morning. And so I started ticking off the miles, and I kind of came to what I thought was about a halfway point. You know, runners, you know, you kind of have that internal instinct. I think it's been a couple of miles or so, and I'm going to turn around. And so as I turn around, I noticed on the, on the lake something I had missed on my route out. I decided I was just going to go back the same route I came. I've never been around this area before. I didn't know the area at all. So I noticed when I turned around, there's like a bridge. There was like a small little bridge across this like little um, kind of a little cove area. And I thought the bridge, which is, it was a shortcut. All right. Confession. It was a shortcut. I thought, you know, this is going to knock off a good quarter mile, maybe a half mile off of this return trip. I'm just going to go across the bridge. So I go across the bridge. And I keep trucking along and I think, okay, I know where I'm at. I think I know where I'm at. I'm going to go around the left, right, left. And then the Marriott should be right there. I go left, right, left. And as I'm trucking along, I start noticing things. My brain starts going like, I haven't seen that before. That little boat dock there, I don't remember that boat dock. That restaurant there, I don't remember that restaurant. That little apartment building there, I don't remember that. And inside my head, but I just kept going. I kept thinking, you know, Marriott's just around this next bend. Around the next bend, more landscape that I didn't recognize. And so I finally came to the conclusion that every intelligent male doesn't want to come to. I'm lost, and I think I need to ask someone for help. I need to actually ask for directions. It's Sunday morning. There are not a lot of people out, so I'm looking around. I couldn't find anybody, so I just kept going, thinking, oh, next bend. I think it's got to be around the next bend. It's kept going, kept going. I see this young lady walking her dog. I said, oh, finally, I find a local. I walk up to her. I said, hey, uh, I think I'm lost. Could you help me? I'm looking for the Marriott. She looks up at me, and she goes, I can't help you. I'm new here. Walked away. I'm like, well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. Just walked away. I left standing there. I thought, well, so I'm looking left. I'm looking right. I said, you know what? I think maybe if I just go a little bit farther, I think is that there's a point over there. Maybe if I get around that point, uh, nope, nope, nope. Finally, see, I see another couple. They come strolling with their dog. I go up to them. I said, excuse me. Good morning. I think I'm lost. Can you help me? And they looked up at me and said, sure. So well, I'm looking for the Marriott. And the wife, she says, she goes, oh my goodness, you're looking for the Marriott? It's way over there, emphasizing way and over there. And then the husband jumps in, he goes, sir, you're a long way from where you want to be, emphasizing long way from where you want to be. Then they positioned me, they said, sir, you need to picture the Marriott Hotel is exactly the opposite side of the lake that you're on. 
Like it's completely on the other side. I said, outstanding, outstanding. I said, I said, is there a route back apart from going? I'm thinking right now, I've probably gone a good four miles-ish by now. Maybe I'm up to five. I'm thinking, boy, this has turned into an exceedingly long run. Um, he said, here's what you got to do. He says, you see that street? You got to get off this lake path. He says, see that street up there? Go up on that street. It's going to take you, it's going to elevate you above the lake path. He says, you're going to go up and you're just going to take that street straight for several miles and you'll come to your hotel right off that road. I said, are you sure? He said, I'm 100%. And he looked, he goes, it looks like you can handle it. Have a good day. And he walked away. (laughs) So church, Christmas, Christmas is God coming to the human race and saying, you're on the opposite side of the lake. You're a long way from where you need to be. I know you're convinced that if you just keep going around that corner, you're convinced you've got it figured out. You know, right there, I know you're convinced you can handle it, that you've got this. And you just keep trucking along in your own wisdom and strength. And Christmas says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to pursue you even when you're 180 degrees from where you want to be. And the invitation tonight is, if we'll just turn to Jesus, he'll take us home. I believe you, me, as a pastor, I was doing a lot of praying on that run. I'm thinking, you know, Lord, I'd sure like to get back to the hotel at some point, at least before kickoff would be helpful. (laughs) But as I was heading back to the hotel and I saw, eventually saw the sign for the Marriott, I felt like the Lord whispered to me, he said, Hey, Simpson, how many times in your life, how many times you were convinced you're on the right road, going the right way for the right reasons, that your answer is just around the bend? How many times? I said, a lot, Lord. And how many times I've come for you and said, hey, just surrender and trust me. I'll get you home. And so maybe that's where tonight finds somebody here or somebody joining us from wherever online. Christmas Eve 2022, in the year of our Lord, 2022 years since when? Since a baby was born on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. A baby that was God's pursuit of you and me long before you and I started looking for God, he sent Jesus to look for us. That's an explanation for every single chair here and everyone joining. God came looking for us before we were ever looking for him. And so tonight, maybe it just takes a measure of humility to admit, you know what? You don't have this whole thing figured out. Maybe it's not going as smooth as you want it to go. Maybe you're not, you know what? You're like, I don't know that I'm on the right road going the right way for the right reasons. And you know what tonight is? Tonight is just an opportunity for you to say, you know what, Jesus I'm a long way from where I need to be. And the journey from where I am to where I need to be starts right where I am. And you can just start right there and say, Jesus, I just want you to come and lead me home. Bring your light into my darkness. Reveal yourself to me. Show me who you really are. And get me, get me home. 
And others of you, you remember very distinctly when you made that decision. But if you were candid and honest, you've been living maybe off of the history with God and not so much your current reality. That maybe the road has become winding and you've gotten distracted and drifting into all kinds of things. And tonight is a reset. You know when you find yourself drifting a long ways away, a long way from where you want to be, here's what you do, here's what Jesus said, just come back. You work the comeback muscle. You just come back. And you'll find when you turn your face towards him, his face has always been turned towards you in love. That's Christmas. So whether it's tonight for the first time saying, Jesus, I, I need you to come. I need you to save me and get me home. Or it's a return trip. It's like, Jesus, I need you to kind of, it's a restart. It's a refresh. It's a rededication. It's a recommitment night. You say, you know what? I've been caught up in a lot of things since it's a reset night. I'm going to get back in step with you. And then lastly, for all of us, tonight's the night where we proclaim there is no life like the Emmanuel life. What an invitation. God comes to live with us so we can live this one and only life with him. What an invitation, church. You can live your one and only life, the days here, with the God who gave you life and the Savior who gave you grace. What an invitation. Because the story of God has always been, is today, and will forever be the story of the world. That's the Emmanuel life. Let's pray together. I just want to give a moment now. Maybe if you feel a bit like me on the other side of that lake in Dallas, uh, and tonight you realize, you know what? You're not exactly where you need to be. And tonight's your night just to turn to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. Come save my life. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me home. I want to live for you. You just cry out quietness of your own heart. Jesus, save me. I need you. I'm not smart enough or strong enough to figure all this out. And I surrender. And others of you, it's a moment tonight of kind of rededication and returning back, recentering yourself, just confessing. Maybe there's been some drifting. Maybe there's been some distraction. And you're just like, you know what? You want to get back. You want to get back to those moments when you were living in step with this Savior who loves you so much. And you just work the returning and comeback muscle tonight. Just return to say, Jesus, I want to come back. And Lord, collectively, we just say as a church family tonight, we worship you. Thank you for coming for us when we're on the complete opposite side of the lake of this life than where we need to be, that you sent Jesus as light and you sent him as life, and you pursue us. And you come and say, I'll lead you home. Just give your life to me. Trust me. I'll get you where you need to be. I pray for the many who gather tonight feeling weighted down with all the cares and concerns of this life. May your light bring hope and lift that darkness tonight. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.